Now, we're in, this is the fifth week of a series that we've entitled Different. We're talking about how faith ought to make a difference in our life and help us to make a difference. And as we look at what I want to call qualities of an everyday hero, uh, it's a great example of how faith ought to be working in our lives. Now, Jesus is talking uh, in this text. He's really describing the heart of God, and he's using this father to depict it. So listen to what he says. To illustrate the point, Father Jesus told them this story. Man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs the young man became so hungry that even the pots he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, shout, when he finally came to his senses. He said to himself at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please Take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But, everybody shout, but. His father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate, shall celebrate with a feast. Verse 28, the older brother was angry, wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all this time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours come back after squandering all the money on prostitutes, you're going to celebrate by killing a fatty calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. Everything, shout everything I had, is yours. We had to celebrate, we had to celebrate, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Everybody shout amen. amen. God bless us and be transformational as we engage in this, this teaching and this message. Both here and beyond, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, today I want to argue that this is a good day to start a new habit. And the habit was really illustrated the other night I was at our children youth ministry uh, graduation. We were graduating middle schools to students to high school and high school students to young adult. And I was sitting at the table with Rebecca here and Pastor Dan Monroe and their granddaughter, Addie and uh, Andrea Allo, and we were just sitting there. And 
of the blue, Rebecca, who's PDM's wife, just started celebrating her husband. Nobody lifted a sign up and say, it's time for you to celebrate your husband. Just out of the blue, she talked about what a good man he was, what a good husband he was, what a great father he was, how, you know, without him she would have had challenge raising the kids, so forth and so on. And I just thought that was like one of the most powerful moments, Rebecca. And I even said it at the table. It was one of the most powerful moments that I had experienced in a long time. And, and what, was, what, what stood out at me is, is this couple, you guys have been married. How long have you been married? Forty-eight years. Come on, can you celebrate that? Forty-eight years. Now, here, here's what stood out for me. Listen to me. Here's what stood out for me. They've been married forty-eight years. It is easy when you've been married for forty-eight years to take a good man that you have in life for granted. It is easy just to assume he already knows. I don't have to say it. We've been together for forty-eight years, and what I just loved about the fact is that she wasn't taking him for granted, and it made me wonder about the question about all of us who have men in our lives. We have sons and siblings and and fathers and, and, rail, and, and, um, and boss and professors and mentors, men in our lives who are good men. And I just wonder how many of us, you know, we just assume they already know and we just kind of take them for granted. So I think today is a good day to start a practice. Shout a good day to start the practice of acknowledging the men that are in our lives who I call everyday heroes. It's just a good day. Don't just say on Father's Day, I'm going to tell you, and the next year I'll tell you again. No, start a practice of celebrating the men in all of our lives. I'll tell you why. This is the season of the Me Too movement. And I support the Me Too movement. I, I'm excited about uh, women being able to stand up and be treated with dignity and respect. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with calling men on the carpet who've been mistreating women and, and all of that. I think all that's wonderful. But here's what I know. If we're going to really change this culture into the culture that God wants us to be, we not only must call men on the carpet and show you know, kind of show up the bad men, we need to also make sure that we're lifting up all of the good men that we have in our lives and all around us, the examples of good men. All right, now I'm going to jump in this text in just a moment, but I just want to share with you, I've been reflecting on this passage, one of my favorite passages recently. I have a favorite passage every week. So, so Matthew 25, I noticed an insight here. Matthew 25, verse 21. And it was one of my mothers, as she aged in life and she slipped towards eternity, she would quote this. You know, this, the story here is that uh, the manager who represents God in the text gives out uh, talents, which is really bags of silver. Five, three, and uh, uh, five, two, and one. And two out of the three took what God gave them and did the best they could with it and, and reproduced it on some level. And the, and, the, and, the, and the voice who represents God in the text says to, the, says to these folks, and actually they happen to be guys, well done, thy good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a few things. The King James Version said, come on up and let me make you ruler. Let me give you charge over many things. Now, let me just, I, I raise this text, guys, because here's what I know is to be true. Whoever you are across race and class and education and power, various categories, this is true for many guys. Most of us, when we think about our lives, when you think about your lives, you're thinking about it from the deficit perspective. You're thinking about it, here's what I need to do to improve. Here's where I'm inadequate. Here's what I've got to work on. And rarely often do you, do you give yourself permission to say, here's something that I'm doing well. I just thought I'd point this text out because it's an incredible text here because notice what the text says. It says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Shout faithful. You've been perfect over many things. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that. You're supposed to say no. Does it say you've been perfect over many things? No, it says you've been what? Faithful, And what God is saying is, listen, guys, you'll never be perfect. Come on now. But you can be faithful. And there will always be a gap between faithfulness and perfection. Don't worry about it. I'll fill the gap. But if you're faithful, that's enough for me to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come on, everybody shout, well done. Well done, well done. That's translation. Let me translate the Greek. That's God saying, you're awesome. Now, there's another insight here. Watch this. Does that text say, uh, well done, good and faithful. You have been faithful over everything? All right, I want you to think about this the next time you, we, we're talking to our sons. Does this text say, well done, you have been faithful over most things? No, wives and, and parents, uh, I, I want you to think about this. And girlfriends, I want you to think about this the next time. Come on now, you're critiquing the man in your life. Does it say, well done, you have been faithful over a whole lot of things? No, no brothers, I want you to think about this the next time you're berating your own self. The text says, come on now, that God will give you a high five if he's able to say, well done, you've been faithful, not over everything, not over a lot, but you've been faithful over a few things. Come on, shout a few things. In other words, I've got a long list of things that I can work on, but thanks be to God, there's some things I'm getting right. And God is saying, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. You're awesome. You're sitting by a man, just look at him and say, you're awesome. You're awesome. Not because you're getting everything right. But there's some things. There's some things. Come on, tell him there's some things. There's some things. There's some things. There's some things. A few things. It's hmm? enough for God to say. Well done. So I'm, I'm trying to get y'all in the habit of identifying the few things and celebrating the few things. Now, I'm going I'm to pull out some observations from this story. Let me say up front, brothers, I'm not suggesting you need 
all of these things I'm going to pull out. I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to argue if you have at least one of them that qualifies you to be an everyday hero. All right, so let's, let's, let's look at the text. And, and, and as we go through this, I want everybody else, all of us, we all, myself, we all have men in our lives that, that we all have. I've got a son. Come on. Right? We all have men. I've got an uncle. We all have men in our lives that we ought to be thinking about. Are we missing and have we uh, overlooked the opportunity to celebrate some everyday heroes? Well, what does an everyday hero look like? Well, let's go to text. The two boys in this text represent, the younger boy represents sinners at their worst. He's kind of the example of that. The older boy, as Pastor Tilden taught you all last weekend, represents the Pharisees, which is really a type of a person who's doing the best they can to be faithful. But the problem is that while they're doing the best they can to be faithful, they totally have no real concept of what grace looks like in God's, from God's perspective. And so Jesus is teaching about the heart of God, and he's using this parable of a, of a father to teach about the heart of God. And he has a lot to teach us, I would argue, about everyday heroes that's in our lives. Now, the first characteristic that pops out is I'm just, I'm just going to share some observations. Shout observations. I'm going to share some observations here. It comes out of the text. The first thing that pops out of the text, here's the, here's the, here's the common rule of that day. If... The father had property. The rule was you waited until he died. Then the property, the wealth, the estate would be divided first to the oldest. And then whatever was left appropriately divided with the youngest. What happens in this text is that the younger guy, the young man, wakes up one day and goes to dad and says, look, dad, I don't like being under your roof. I don't want to be under your authority. And you're living too long. So what I need you, since you're not going to die, what I need you to do is to give, give me my part of your estate. Now, just stop right there. Now, I, I'm so happy I'm not the daddy in the text. Because if I was the daddy in the text, I would stop him right there and I would say, your part of my estate. Wait a moment, baby. All this is mine. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You can exit, but this is mine. But thank be to God, I'm not the daddy in the text, y'all. Come on now. So we can all learn from the daddy in the text. Now, uh, uh, everybody, everybody shout, estate. 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 This literally means the father's property and wealth that he owned. This was his estate. I, I want to suggest that the father in the text is what I call a legacy builder. That the estate kind of represents the legacy that he's going to leave to the next generation. And I just want to argue that, yes, of course, all of us should want to leave uh, some property and a little money behind for the next generation if we can. But I also want to say there are, some, there are some parts of our legacy that are far more important than property and money that we ought to leave behind. Now, I think I got some Christians here because when I said that in the last gathering, nobody said nothing. <laughs> they, they were like, really? <laughs> This is the Christian one here, y'all. <laughs> let, 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 me, let, me, let me prove the point. Listen, 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 listen. If you leave a million dollars, put a pen here. This father, this Jewish father, has an estate because, I would assume, he was a hard worker, 
and he sacrificed much. And I want to argue teaching the next generation through your example to be hard workers and sacrifice much is a whole lot more important than the money and the property you leave. Here's why. If you have a million dollars and you leave it to your kids and they don't know nothing about working hard and nothing about sacrificing, it will be a short while before they lost all that money. But, come on now, if you have no money but you leave behind an ethic of working hard and sacrifice and an old broke down car, come on now, give them some time, they'll change the world with what you've left behind. Now, let me, let me prove the point, let me prove the point. Michelle Obama's father, Mr. Robinson, first name, Frazier. Both Michelle and her brother Craig talks about their dad. They say that their father was not a college-educated man, but he was the gold standard for being a husband and a man of integrity. And what they point out, both of them in their stories, are, uh, is that their father suffered from uh, MS, multiple cirrhosis. He worked for the city of Chicago, tending to those uh, in the plant tending to those tanks that filtered the waters. He, he works swing shifts. And as they tell the story, that the father would suffer with an MS and that he, he walked to work. And so as he walked to work, some mornings he got up, he could, one cane wasn't enough. He had to use two canes to walk. But week after week and month after month and year after year, that father, they watched their father tenaciously and sacrificially go to work day in and day out, struggling with his multiple uh, cirrhosis. And, and, and when he died, he didn't have any money to leave behind. But that ethic of working hard and that tenacity of sacrifice, both of those kids went to Princeton. Michelle went on to Harvard. And then she ultimately became the first lady of the United States from a father who had no college education but left a legacy of working hard and sacrifice. So I just want to say to all the guys in the house, listen, maybe you got a long list of some stuff you need to work on, but if you are hard workers and you're working hard for your family and you're sacrificing for your family, I just want you to hear God declare to you today, well done. Well done. You know, in the, in the Valley, we, we, we celebrate CEOs and lawyers and bankers and all of that. And we should. Great accomplishment, we should. But I just want to call out today those fathers who work one job and two jobs and three jobs to make sure that there's food on the table and the kids can go to school. And, and just, by, by the way, so if you're here, I just want you to hear God say, well done. And if you haven't told your old man who helped you to get through by working two and three jobs and his name will never be written up in a newspaper, make sure you send him a text today and say, Dad, thanks for being an everyday hero. In my life. A second observation that comes to my mind out of the text, it just jumps out of the text. It's important of what I want to call wise judgment. Sharp, wise, wise judgment. I think wise judgment makes you an everyday hero. Uh, let me show you where it is in the text. In verse 12, when the son comes and says, Dad, here's what I want. In verse 12, it says, all the father did was he agreed with him. 
Now, later on, we, real, we, are, we come to learn what the father in his wisdom had already deserved. In verse 17, we are told that the boy came to his senses, which means that everything the boy did prior to that, he was out of his mind. So because the father discerned that the boy was out of his mind, come on now, he didn't lose any time trying to convince him, persuade him, because listen guys, if you're trying to persuade somebody out of their mind, that probably means you out of your mind. Come on now. He, he just understood that the, the strategy that was appropriate at that moment was agree and let him go. But then go to uh, verse 28, and notice in verse 28, the older son comes on the porch but decides, I'm not going to go in the house. And the verse says, but dad came outside, and what does it say? And he pleaded with, he begged his son. New Living Translation says he pleaded with his son. Now, his son, this son is in a different circumstance. He's in a different frame of mind. And so the father's taking a different approach. Here's what I'm talking about in terms of wise judgment. You know, know, knowledge is one thing. Knowing how to use it is something different, y'all. Come on now. Uh, uh, To be wise is to know when to do what. What to do when. To know what the goal is and the right strategy to get to the goal. Shout wise judgment. Give an example out of my life. Uh, My own uh, dad, who had a third grade education, granduncle, he he was a man of wise judgment. When I became a teenager uh, working in the church, people would come up to me regularly and say, you're going to be a preacher, which I hated to hear. (laughs) But if my dad was around, and he was just this kind of way too. He would, he would, he would, he would, he would interrupt. He would say, "Wait a moment." He said, "Don't tell that boy he's going to be a preacher." He said, "If God wants him to preach, he doesn't need you to tell him he's going to preach. God said, God will tell him himself." Right. Shout wisdom. And so he 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 pushed him back. It took me 20 years before I realized, though, what he really saw. Because what my father would do is on Friday nights or Saturday nights, he'd call me in his bedroom and he would say, he'd have the Sunday school book there or he'd have his scripture that he's working on his lesson, message. Now he had a third grade education and he said, boy, read this. And I'd read it. And he said, now tell me, what do you think that means? And I'd explain it. Now I'm, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> uh, he, he, he can't, he, you know, third grade education, he needs me to help him. I totally didn't think about the fact that he had been preaching for 20 years before I showed up. Right. Totally missed it, right? That's I said, what do you think about that? And then we talk about it, we talk about it. He said, well, okay, well, thank you. And then later on, when I was in the church, in the, old Baptist, in the Baptist church, they'd have what they called devotion, and sometimes they wouldn't have enough people to do it. And he'd say, I got a boy out there. And they'd push me forward, and I'd have to go up there, and, 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 and I'd learn how to pray and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and he just did it gently. He just did it. It took me. It took me 20 years before I realized that daddy knew what he was doing. He saw the hand of God on my life. He, 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 he had a sense that God was calling me to something greater. He could see me in the pulpit, but, but he was wise. He would never say, you're going to be a preacher. He just said, come here, read this, read this. Read this. I've got daddies all over here listening to me. Come on now. You may not have a big degree behind your name, but you've got wise judgment. You know how to do when and what to do. And and I just want to tell you, come on now. God is saying, well done. 
Maybe you've got a list of a whole lot of other things you've got to work on, but God is saying the way you've used your wisdom and your judgment, well done. Another insight that pops out of my mind, I'm just reading through the text, just working with the text. And I notice what I want to call self-control. Child self-control. Men who are self-controlled are pretty remarkable, I think. And I see it in the text. And starting verse 28, the boy gets an attitude with the daddy. Daddy comes out and the boy takes an attitude with him. Now I, and and my, as I read the text, I can hear the boy screaming at daddy. Like, like, like daddy, you're going to do me like that. You know, like I've been around here all this time. I've never disobeyed anything you. And not one time have you said, go kill a, even a, a young cow and have a party with your boys. And, 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 and now that son of yours, he's not even my brother no more. He's your son. That son of yours, come on now, has, has gone and taken your money, spent it on prostitutes. And then he's going to have the nerve to come back here. And then you're going to take the biggest calf on the yard, cut him, have a party. Come on, dad. What's up with you? Now, now, shout self-control. Now, in my younger days, not now, because I've learned something, but in my younger days, if my boy had talked to me like that boy talked to his daddy, come on now, my response would be, oh, oh, oh. come on, come on, step down, step down. Come on, come on, settle down. Do you not understand I'm your daddy? Have you forgotten who helped you to get into the world? Have you lost sight of my ability to make you disappear? Come on now, you better settle down. Shout self-control. That's in my younger days, PDM. That's my younger days. What the father does in the text. I like the NIV version of what the father does in the text. His response is control. He says, softly, my son. He agrees with him. He says, he says you've always been with me. He, and then he says, listen, you're the oldest. All I have is yours. You see that self-control? You see that? See that? See that? One of the things that Rebecca was bragging on PDM about, and I just loved it, and I, I, I can see it. She was saying that, she was telling a story about how when she was raising kids, she would say she'd be the one that, you know, when the kids get all messed in trouble, she'd, she would, you know, go off at them. She said, PDM, he'd just stay calm. And, and he never raised his voice, she said. And yet he garnered so much respect. And then they had uh, added as, and, and, and his granddaughter. She, she said, have you ever seen your granddad raise his voice? She says, out of all of her time, she said, well, uh, twice. She says, twice? Says, yes. She said, twice I saw granddad raise his voice just a little bit over what he normally, and he had a smile then. And she said, it was the most frightening thing in my life. <laughs> I, I, I'm so happy that we're starting to name hurricanes after men, not just women. Come on now. Hugo and Charlie, because we, have, we know how to blow our tops, right? We can mess up some rooms, right? But when you find a man who has enough self-control that when it's chaotic, that he can be calm and cool and thoughtful and collective, you've just run into an everyday hero and you ought to celebrate him. (Applause) 
So, man, I just want to say to you, if you, if you, if you, if you exercise self-control, you may have a lot of other stuff to work on. But God is saying, because you've been faithful with a few things, well done. And then, and then another observation, I'm almost finished. Another observation puffs out at me. It's patience. Everybody shout patience. It's right in the text. Verse 20. He said, the boy's coming. He said, you see the boy? He decides to come home. The text says, the father see while he's still a long way off, the father sees it. And what that means to me is that the father understood. Say patience. The father understood that some things can't be rushed. That some things you just got to wait for. And, and, and there's some stuff that's, that only life can teach you. But because it says the father saw him, to me it means that the father never stopped looking for him. Come on, he, he, he patiently with great expectation continued to go to the door every day and look for that boy and look for that boy. He didn't know where the boy was, but he knew the God who was in charge of the boy. Y'all ain't listening. And wherever the boy was, he knew that the God could handle him. He didn't know it might take him years, but he just trusted every door. He just kept going every day. He was able to look for them. Without patience. And then embedded in the patience, I think, is the power of prayer. This is a Jewish father, so I, I think he clearly was a praying father. And I know we put, make a lot out of political power, this big deal, economic power, yes, that is important, corporate power, that's wonderful. But I just want to tell you, there's no more greater power than prayer. And I'm just talking to the men now, because a lot of the women know this. And, 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 and the most powerful men I've seen uh, uh, in, in the world, come on now, are men of prayer. Now, uh, let, me, let me share a story in a verse. One of the verses I ran across two or three years ago that I have just loved is in Genesis 25, verse 21. Isaac is married to Rebecca. Rebecca can't have kids. Watch what the text says about this father, this husband, what he does for his family. The text says, and Isaac prayed to the Lord. The New Living Translation says he pleaded on behalf of the wife because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer. And she ultimately became pregnant. I love that because here's a man praying. And God, and here, here's what I learned as I thought about my, my granduncle. I've been thinking about it recently. He would get up 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And when, as soon as he got out of bed, when I walked in on him many times, he got out of bed. He's right here. That night, before he got into bed, I'd walk in on him sometimes. He's down here. And, and again, it took me 20 years to figure out that the reason I'm on, part of the reason I'm on this stage today is because then he was right here. Yeah, they're, they're part of the reason why some of the stuff that should have took me out missed me is because then he was right here. Y'all ain't listening to me. I, I'm telling you, a powerful man is a man who knows how to pray. Come on now. And, and I've got men here who, who you may not get out on your knees. You might have a chair that you sit in on a regular basis. Or you might go for a walk. Or you might do it while you're walking, working in the yard. Or you might do it while you're traveling up and down uh, along traffic jams. But whatever the context, God just wants me to tell you, if you are a praying man, come on now, praying for your wife, your girlfriend, 
and your kids. If you are praying, man, you are powerful, man. And well done, thy good and faithful servant. And if you've got men in your life who praise, that's an everyday hero. You need to celebrate them as a habit. And then, let me, let me wrap it up. Talk about patience. Here's the last thing I want to point out. The physical affection. Watch this text. It just jumped out at me. Verse 21. The father sees him coming. And the text says, now, listen. The father sees him. Now, there were a lot of us and me in my, perhaps my younger days, uh, if you saw him coming, you said, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Raggedy. Broke. Dirty. Mm-hmm. Didn't listen. Mm-hmm. And, and you, what you do, you, come on now, you go two rooms in. Shut the door. So he had to go through three doors to get to you. <laughs> not this dad. Come on now. Not, not this dad. I, I, I love this dad. And he, 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 he does it in a phenomenal, in a fascinating way. What he does is he runs out. The text says when he sees him, he opens the door and he runs out. Watch the physical affection that happens. He says he's filled with love and compassion. He can't hold it. Come on now. And he runs to his son. And watch what he does. He embraces him. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him. Come on now. That's a display. Shout display. Oh, I'm talking about a powerful thing. That's a display of physical affection. That's, that's a display of, of verbal affirmation. Both through words and action, I love you. You matter to me. I, 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 I saw this the other night, too, at the, at the uh, children's youth thing. And one of our fathers had a daughter graduating. And uh, he had to share, you know, the way they set it up. You got to speak a word into their lives. And, you know, he's a corporate and powerful and cool and all that and, and all that comes with that. So he's, you know, he, he was ready to speak into his daughter's life. And he started talking. He's talking, talking about how proud he was, how, how wonderful she was doing. And before he knew it, he started choking up. And, and then tears came, and, and, and he was surprised, and everybody, and I was sitting there, and I was like, mm-hmm. I said, this, this daughter will never forget this moment. She may not remember what he said, but she will remember him choking up and conveying to him her how proud he is. I just stop by to tell you, men. I, whenever I see my son, he's bigger than me. And I just reach up to him. Come on, I'm a hugger, y'all. And I just reach up and pull him down. I pull his head down, kiss him on his head, kiss him on his face. Come on now. And, 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 and I'm just saying to you, brothers, my daddy wasn't a kisser. He wasn't a hugger. But he had a way of showing affection. Because when I was doing something he liked, he'd start laughing. And he would also start crying at the same time. And he had a way of displaying his affection that 
built ego within me. So I just come by to tell you brothers, come on now, who have the courage to display affection for the people that you love. That's power, y'all. And God is saying to you, if you would dare do it, I want to tell you, you're one of my heroes. Well done. So today, as I close, we have gathered not merely to celebrate fathers. We have gathered to celebrate everyday heroes. And everybody shout, Amen.